It looks a lot better to your citizens to be managing things proactively and not responding to emergencies. It's never a good thing to call the mayor and say, you know, we got a problem that could have been avoided by some technology applications. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Marcella Cavallero from Esri, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Chris Stern, Head of Strategy and Corporate Development for Utilities and Smart Cities at Trimble, talk about the importance of data-driven performance and technology in community engagement and operational efficiency. Today's leading cities use a powerful combination of location technology, sensors, and sophisticated analytics to get ahead of infrastructure crises before they occur. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor investigate the role technology is playing in urbanization. Chris, hello, and thank you so much for being here with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Trimble invests a lot in solving problems in urban environments. How would you define a smart city? I think when you talk to cities about smart cities, it's really about solving these challenges with the application of technology. It's no sort of stress put on, you know, called civic infrastructure. There's a stress from the population movement to urban cities. You see stresses on aging infrastructure. You know, challenges with things that we see in the utilities environment. You see security challenges. Um, you see the need for, you know, kind of openness and inclusion and open data and wireless for all, um, addressing those kind of social issues and um, economic issues. And then you have the, you know, these, the stress of severe weather events and, and climate and, you know, the increasing frequency and severity of these weather events, which we've all experienced. And I think when you talk to Cities about smart cities, it's not about IoT, it's not about sensors, but to do it you need those types of things and there are new methods to communicate with low bandwidth and low cost and there's also a proliferation of these sensors that can measure a variety of things that you wouldn't have been able to measure in the past and so it gives you the ability to deal with things like traffic and mobility and knowing, you know, they do parking meters that can transmit and the example there was, you know, parking meters transmitting might be, you know, a use case for where's a parking spot. But if you think about it, it's all the urban planning issues about, you know, where the traffic patterns are, you know, when spots are open and when, where cars are using those meters and when they're not. So it's a revenue stream. What is the role of location intelligence for smart cities? To me, location intelligence is fundamental. There's many examples of not only responding to emergency, but even in routine maintenance conditions in environments that aren't, you know, ideal. Um, you have to find, you know, a physical asset, um, you know, water meter, electric meter, a valve, those conditions that present themselves to utility workers and a number of other industries. Construction, without a doubt. In smart cities, we talk about water and we talk about these other areas, but another piece is just the buildup of urbanization and construction of large and vertical structures um, and doing that in a way that you know, carbon emissions are reduced and, you know, talk about measuring tree canopy and all these things. Um, and we have solutions that help build, you know, kind of smart building, smart construction. So location intelligence, um, you know, the smart city water challenge is, is applicable across all, but water as physical infrastructure and understanding where it's located is critical. Is the concept of smart cities applicable only to large urban environments? It, well, first off, it's applicable to all cities, but in different ways. So in the large, you know, the large municipal, the large urban settings, you're seeing that being where it's starting, where urbanization is really impacting those cities. Um, on the large scale, they're dealing with, with, with big problems, big urbanization, and that's driving the need primarily. 
most of the challenges have been in not only the, the large cities, but then some of the smaller ones in, in and around communities from the mobility and transportation where they're sprawling communities in Colorado. They have huge amounts of development. We're in the Smart Cities Alliance there. And you have all the cities. You have the small, you have the medium, you have Denver. They're all interconnected in many cases. So why it's applicable may vary in terms of priority, but the the coordination of deployment of these kind of concepts is usually on a regional basis. So it transcends the large cities and goes to the local communities and the smaller cities. Um, you know, urbanization and population and transportation is usually the interconnected theme that drives most of the conversations around mobility and transportation, autonomy, autonomous vehicles, what's the impact to our community? You know, how do we get off of, you know, fossil fuel based you know, gas, you know, using vehicles and move to electric vehicles. These are all, you know, sort of environmental and transportation issues that extend out. Most of the conversations in the large, large municipal cities, but the small cities also have a role in that as well. How old would you say are the water utility infrastructure across the United States? Uh, the United States is, is, is young in terms of the rest of the world in, in sort of mature. And in the U.S., it's, you'd see about 100 years, you know, kind of. And it sort of goes east to west as the U.S. was developed. In Los Angeles, we had one that was 1885, I believe, when we were looking at our oldest, 1883, 1885, wood stave pipe that is in the heart of the city. So you still have some really old infrastructure. It's not necessarily that the age, the useful life is 100 years. And like I said, you go over to the UK and you have much older infrastructure. It's the rate of failure has started to increase. And so the rate of replacement of that infrastructure, the money and the funding to do that has not sustained. So it hasn't kept up with this increasing need for pipe replacement. So the big challenge for the smart cities and smart water management is you know, how to apply that limited budget to the most critical areas of need. And that's what we try to do with the sensors is help them identify the pipes that are leaking, um, the pipes that are under stress. It measures when the pressures are high and low and you have these stresses on the infrastructure. Um, and that's what we're trying to help managers do is, is properly allocate those limited budgets to really the areas of most risk. Chris, you used the term smart water. What does that mean? It is the application of technology in the water industry, just much to the, the same themes of smart cities. It's how do you apply the technology to address the problems in water and in cities. The challenge with the urbanization, we we're talking about you know, sort of stress and urbanization and stress on infrastructure and those challenges that come with aging infrastructure and the like. It also you know, translates into kind of resilience and sustainability. One interesting area in water is resilience and response. And, you know, we heard about some of the applications through some of the incidents this last couple of years. Um, in the case of the fires in the city of Napa, what happened there was the fires you know, took out all the power and the water management in the city um, had called our support. They were asking for us to help them. And what happened was they lost visibility to how much water supply they had in their tanks. So they moved because our systems are battery. You know, our IoT sensors are these remote battery. They're very rugged. They can withstand all these conditions. They end up moving them to these locations during the fire. So it gave them visibility to water supply for firefighting was number one. Um, you know, that was very interesting in terms of the application of these technologies for these you know, severe weather events, storms, fires, flooding, um, and, and natural disasters. The other thing was in the city, they used them, they moved them around. In the city, if the pressure with water systems drops below 
in the US 20 PSI, it's a public health because contaminants can get in. There's not enough pressure in the pipes to keep dirt and other things if there are cracks from getting in the pipe. So if a water system or a community has pressures below, and we say, you know, smart water, smart cities, well, that also means smart and resilient. And um, what we found um, and what we're trying to talk and, you know, kind of promote is these applications of the technology for, you know, fires, floodings, earthquakes, these, you know, continu continuity of supply in the case of the floods in New York, Hurricane Sandy, you know, the other thing was our instruments were under sewer manholes. Well. That's great to look for overflows and regulatory compliance, but when the city flooded, they were the only instruments still reporting. So they were still transmitting, but what's interesting is they measure the water level by, by pressure. So when the level goes above the unit, they're still measuring level above ground, above the manhole in this case. So we were actually giving them in, information on the level of floodwaters throughout the city, um, which they had visibility to this and there's all sorts of reasons you'd want to know that for you know safety public safety access how, where can we go um, insurance risk you know those those kinds of damage issues after the fact and so what we found with smart waters is not only just the management of the water in terms of supply but it's also you know transcends into this whole resilience theme are you also working with other utilities like electric and gas so Trimble does. So in gas utilities, it's similar, it's pressure pipe. So these same sensors that measure pressure are being applied in the gas distribution for the same applications, same challenges, higher degree of risk with gas failures in the gas um, utility industry. And on the electric side, we have a suite of offerings that do more network management. So electric utility outage and distribution management when you're working with these utilities and you're consolidating the sensor data around their infrastructure, are you also integrating it with other data sources? And how are you doing that? And what kinds of answers can you obtain from that integration visualization? So one of our big focuses, and we say sort of asset condition or asset management, the asset management requires that you not only see visually the locations and that high quality very accurate location and utilities are a good example like in the construction where you know good enough is not good enough the cell phone you know I'm not going to dig in the street with the chance that three to five meters I might be in the right place the ability to track maintenance and condition um, in the case of an outage um, we're able to respond so we can actually do network tracing and identify the cause of the outage notify customers and, and kind of trigger the mobile work processes for the repair of those incidents. And it's the same on the water side. The water side, we can be a little more predictive ahead of some incident in the sense of our IoT extension to the platform gives you that real-time intelligence to know, uh, you know, sort of trends. So you can see trends before um, running into a situation where a pipe will burst and you see these streets and these sinkholes and there's been pictures of you know, cities with those problems. We can get ahead of that now. You know, we talk about the pathway to smart, and the pathway is usually a journey, and it starts with that sort of base GIS, that mapping, understanding what you have today, the, you know, connect the physical and the digital, create that digital representation of what you have, and then you move to the next layer, which is managing that infrastructure. We manage the workers and the work and, and track it against those assets to understand performance. And then the IoT piece is what we layer in to get um, sort of predictive and prescriptive even in terms of how you manage the network. And that's where I think a lot of the advances are still to come. You know, the top end of the journey to smart is really the analytics and, you know, sort of taking all that data 
you know, using, applying, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, things that help you manage the infrastructure, um, the assets, the city, all those things in a really kind of proactive, you know, cost-effective way and avoid a lot of those, you know, kind of reactive mode. Like from a citizen engagement standpoint, it looks a lot better if you are, you know, kind of appearing to your citizens to be managing things proactively and not responding to emergencies. Uh, it's never a good thing to get a, you know, have to call the mayor and say, you know, we got a problem. You know, that could have been avoided by, you know, some technology applications. With, with these pretty significant benefits and cost savings, and you mentioned citizen engagement, walk us through how a utility would begin this transformation process. Utilities at the end of the day really are managing resources and assets. And that's the first assessment. Where are you with that? We're actually helping people do that. Um, in the case of Ireland, I Ireland just merged up and created a single water utility, Irish Water. Um, so they're for the first time creating an organization that is going to go on this journey and they are very much working on kind of digital representation of physical infrastructure and then moving to the mobility, work orders, you know, maintenance of those assets. And um, I think the distribution automation, the amount of technology on the electric side is far more advanced. I used to always say, and I still believe, you know, you can argue it's five to ten years ahead of, say, water and wastewater utilities. And a lot of the water wastewater can look to see what electric utilities are doing um, in any one of those categories and then apply it. And then if the technology is mature and when the water utilities and the wastewater adopt it, they have the benefit of not having, you know, sort of beta software or beta sensors and, and, and being the guinea pigs for technology deployment. Chris, can you define for us the geospatial cloud and what advantages do you see the cloud enabled solutions bring? Most of the big companies have deployed a cloud strategy. It depends on the industry of where they are. But when I define you know, sort of the geospatial cloud, you know, it's basically an environment to perform your work with a geospatial context. And we at Trimble um, you know, sort of have that same challenge in the sense of we have construction workers, we have engineers, we have water professionals, we have electric utility, we have uh, transmission distribution on the electric side. They're all collecting what we call geospatial information. You know, and sort of our mandate is to make it very easy for workers in these industries to capture really high quality data. And the world's shifting, I've been saying this for a while, that you could see it, uh, the 3D nature, civil engineers and designers historically had been fine with two-dimensional drawings. Um, but that's changing. People need to visualize things in three dimension. Data needs to be collected in three dimension. And when I think about the geospatial cloud, it's an environment to both, you know, sort of make it easy for workers and industries to do that process, meaning collect, store, manage, and then, you know, sort of distribute. There's pieces behind that for analytics. There's pieces for problem solving. This is an environment that is a collaboration environment to share content so we can have designers collect information. We can share it with architects. Architects can do their design. They can pass it back to the designers and then the construction firms that are doing the work use different tools and they collect data. So we've you know, kind of worked with that same concept around the cloud environment for construction professionals, design, build, operate as the theme around how they can share and collaborate. That's really what the challenge is because a lot of these technologies are confusing to folks in different industries. 
How would you, would you give an example now that you sort of internalized the geospatial cloud of how it's used in the field? A great case is, is, is you know, take a wastewater utility. We Hampton Road Sanitary Districts in Virginia. Their primary challenge is this EPA consent decree to limit and prevent and reduce sewer overflows. Um, there's a number of utilities in the U.S. that are doing this, and so they're able to use this geospatial cloud. They can collect their information, and they, they manage the mapping, the visualization, but the work and the alerts and the alarms, when that actually happens, the sensors are communicating with the geospatial cloud. The sensors are telling you what the current condition is, but then the alarm goes off, level's too high, and then that information flows out to our mobile platform, which is running on iPads, iPhones, Android devices, regardless of the device the worker's using, they're alerted, right? And they can bring up the information, they can see the chart of the level in that particular location, they can see exactly where they need to go and what they need to do, and they can solve the problem before there is actually an overflow. And we can close the loop on that problem, essentially using what, you know, what is called the geospatial cloud in combination with these workflows, these IoT sensors. Is there an emerging technology that has captured your attention, imagination in particular? 3D, to me, 3D sort of spans augmented reality, mixed reality. We have a mixed reality theme, not augmented, not virtual, but the combination of these is, and I think the, you know, I, I loosely call that 3D um, because I think it covers all that. And I think that's the most transformational um, sort of movement happening. Um, I think traditional geospatial technologies on the, um, you know, sort of mapping and construction side and design side have been, you know, people think in two dimensions for the most part. They communicate in two dimensions, they print documents in two dimensions. But in terms of visualizing the world in 3D, this connecting the physical to the digital we talked about earlier, and you actually have to visualize that. Not only is it not a simple task to do that in a construction context, in a highly accurate context, it's you know, it, it's, a, it's a complicated workflow for most customers. A lot of times on paper in a 2D context, you don't see conflicts. So, uh, you know, say a pipe going one direction. In a 2D drawing, you don't see the level or the height of that pipe. And then you go in the field and you see, oh, well, that's going to be a problem. Um, and that's indoors and outdoors. We're seeing interest come from places that are non-traditional for the technology. And I think that's the beginning of a cycle. You see this sort of interest and demand growing. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us. It was a true pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Chris Stern for explaining the impact of location analytics and spatial business intelligence in the evolution of smart cities. To learn more, download our free eBooks, Making Sense of Digital Transformation at esri.com forward slash wear, Making the Most of the Internet of Things at esri.com forward slash IoT, and Putting AI and Location Intelligence to Work at esri.com forward slash AI.